gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Welcome to Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. Today, we are going to be all about the opening weekend of our season for ducks here in Wisconsin. Everyone's opener is the same thing. You're so excited for it. Everyone's going to be out there. It's going to sound like a virtual war zone in most areas. And you need to figure out where to sit, how early you need to get out there, and how you're going to set up your decoys. On our first day, we're going to be hunting an area that has a lot of rice. And it is a marsh with open water. On that spot, the birds finish really close. I don't know what it is about it, but I've never had where I could set my decoys up and have the birds finish literally 10 feet from where I'm sitting. Almost too close. We might actually push our decoys out a little bit so that the birds don't finish as close so that we have a better pattern when we're shooting at them. But on that one, I'm going to go with just a basically a V or a U shape. And I'll probably have it sliding off uh, one way or the other on more of an angle where the birds would be coming in from the wind with the wind. So that basically it kind of leads them in, gives them almost like a like a roadway to follow with the decoys in to where we'll have our motion decoys. I think what I am going to do on the first day is we are going to put out a flock of flickers, several shakers, and also have a swimming duck that will be circling right in the hole where we want to finish our birds. That's kind of what my plan is. I am figuring in that area where we are going to be, there will be fairly heavy pressure. There will be lots of people within several square miles. And in my estimation, everyone will have a spinning wing decoy. So I'm thinking that I want to try something different. I know in that area where I'm at, they are very much want to be there and they're there often. So I don't think I need to have a spinner set up. I may put one in maybe right at water height that is set up on a remote, but I want to have my motion not be a spinner if I see any sign that the birds aren't responding to that. I want to make darn sure that we show them something different than what they're seeing from everyone else. Now, when we're hunting heavy pressure on our first weekend, two weekends, three weekends in Wisconsin, after that, people get into deer hunting and the numbers of people at duck hunt very much tail off. But when I'm hunting heavier pressure, I will actually, even if I don't have many geese in the area, I will put out at least three goose decoys because you're going to have hunts when... These groups of birds come in, they get broke up, 
and a pair or a single will be out looking for a safe place to go. So I will put out a couple of goose decoys just in case we can pick up two to four geese during our hunt. But again, on this hunt, I'm going to probably have our motion decoys out about 20 feet off of where we're sitting because when I've done closer, they land that close. And I'm going to have a flock of flickers for my motion and possibly set up a remote control uh, spinner that I can turn off or turn on. I will put my geese to the uh, wind side so that they would be where the birds are landing or past so they're not going to be on the on the area that's drawing them in and I think that's going to give us a really good shot at having the birds right where we want them to go and especially with that pressure seeing lots of birds and having them finish in the hole and in good shooting range. Now we have weather coming in this week so it's going to be Kind of interesting to see what happens. We are going to have weather in the upper 40s with lows around freezing. For this time of year, that is not normal at all. Generally speaking, on our opening days, it is 60 degrees for a high. You're looking at 45 or 50 in the morning. So you're hunting in a sweatshirt, maybe down to a t-shirt if you're sitting for a long time. But these cold weather days, it's going to be... I'm, I'm curious to see if these birds are going to migrate out and if we're going to lose our blue-winged teal, if we'll get green-winged teal in, and if we have anything other than our mallards and wood ducks that we normally have uh, during this time of year. Will we get other decoys or other birds into our decoys? Will we have some some uh, ruddy ducks? Will we see some gadwall, pintail? I haven't seen any, and I've hunted there Oh gosh, during teal season, I hunted there during youth season, and all I've seen has been teal, mallards, and wood ducks. So I'm curious to see if we're going to see any birds that are in that front end of the migration with this cold weather, assuming that even further north, it's going to be quite a bit colder. Wisconsin is a big state. We're hunting the central part. So if you go up in the northern part of Wisconsin, you're going to be having well below freezing weather for four to five days in a row. So you could even have skim on on certain areas if it's uh, shallow water. Now, on our second day, I've got a spot that we have been watching birds in for about a month and a half once we get to next weekend. And they're feeding in this area. <coughs> it's a pond that is a standalone. So it doesn't have any water going in, doesn't have any water coming out. And we had some really good teal hunts in it. But the problem I have with that is that it's a big pond. Not big in the sense of, I guess, being too big, but big in the sense of being about 100 yards across. And the problem that we're having in this pond is the birds are shorting us and they're landing either in the middle or toward the other side. So what my plan is on that is to take probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 12 to 18 goose floaters and I'm going to pack the far shore with them to try to prevent the ducks from landing in by the geese to be, push them back over to us. I'm going to make that pattern along the back shore and have it hooked towards us so that hopefully, in theory, from what I'm watching with my scouting, the birds are going to want to be closer to the blind where we're going to be sitting. Now, the birds in this area have been throughout this whole pond, so 
I know we'll get a lot of shooting. I just really want to see if I can change how they're dispersing in this pond by putting those goose decoys in. I have seen geese in there. I've also seen a few pelicans in there. So there have been bigger birds in this pond with the ducks, but not a lot. So I'm hoping maybe you can mimic a big flight that came in and landed and have them push the birds towards us. We're going to put out, I would say, three dozen decoys in this pond as well. And on this pond, I am going to put in several spinners so that we have multiple motion just because these birds are so comfortable there and they've been hanging out there. And that has been where they have been feeding for six weeks. We've hunted it twice, and that was in early September. I did not hunt it during our youth season, during mid-September, because I wanted to leave it for uh, our early October duck hunt. But it'll be, it'll be really fun. I am looking forward to that hunt. I would like to do it uh, the first day, but I also know that I know nobody's going to be in there. No one can get, can get in there. I know that we will have this to ourselves. So I want to hunt the other property that we have that I know there'll be a lot of pressure on thinking that those birds are going to get pushed. And one, it'll be neat to see what is there. But two, I think that we have a great opportunity to have duration on this hunt where it's going to be a lot of birds coming in for a long period of the morning, maybe even all the way till about 11 in the, 11 in the morning toward noon. What I've seen, you get in, you get your first couple of flights. Maybe people get a little restless. You get some people that just give up. And when you get to that between 8 to 10 o'clock, usually more 9 to 10 o'clock, guys are loading up their boats and they're heading out. They're thinking, I'm not going to try this spot again tomorrow. Let's go find another. Or maybe they've limited out and had a great day. But the push that they're going to give on the lakes and the rivers that are surrounding uh, this area are going to move birds. So if we sit tight, especially in an area that the birds have been all summer, I'm really hopeful that that day we can uh, we can get a lot of uh, birds that have been pushed as opposed to the second day where we're hunting this pond that has all of the birds feeding in it. That's more of a natural type uh, type movement uh, of a hunt. Even though I know they'll be pushed there because there'll be plenty of hunters around, but my feeling is that those birds are going to want to be there. So they're going to be there and they're going to go in there because that is where they have been going for the past six to eight weeks. So if you have ideas on your upcoming hunt, do me a favor and send me an email, sportingdogtv at gmail.com. I would love to talk about your ideas on our show. Give it a little bit of publicity on what you guys do different. Don't tell us where you're going to hunt because we don't want people to internet scout us and to uh, find our hotspot. But if you have something that you try that is different from what most people put out on a decoy spread, let me know. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. This is how we become a community in duck hunting. Thank you so much for listening to this part of the show. Stay tuned next for a great recipe on how to cook your teal. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. Hey, welcome back to Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. Now, I wanted to talk about a recipe that I tried. You get your duck, you get your wild game, how do you prepare it? I used 
teal breast. Uh, so we had, oh gosh, it was probably in the neighborhood of about 10 teal and we breasted them out. And I'm looking in my kitchen going, what would really taste good with this? So what I did is I got out some lemon pepper seasoning and I seasoned them on the front and the back. And I put a liberal amount on, not to the point where it looked like breading, but I put a liberal amount on. Then I got my pan and I put olive oil in it. I heated the pan up to high temperature on my stove and I let it go all the way to high temperature. I then put in the teal breast and I seared them on both sides and I cooked them, I would say for, oh, it was around a minute and a half on one side. I flipped them a minute and a half on the other side and then I pulled them off. There were a few of them that I checked that needed a little bit more cooking time, but in general, that searing gave them a nice pink color uh, on, the, on the middle and it locked the flavor in. And also the lemon pepper really worked as a wonderful spice to go with it. So I served this to the kids. They told me that this was the best duck they've ever had. I think the key to it was one, having a hot pan and flash frying it, flash frying it, which basically is where you're searing the outside. Having a good quality complement of a spice to go with it, which this was lemon pepper seasoning. And then we served it with wild rice and sweet corn that had an onion and garlic uh, seasoning on it. So it turned out to be a really good meal. Didn't take long. The only thing that took a while was I did not have a cover for my pan. So when you do flash fry something and you're running with high heat and oil, make sure you put a cover on it because otherwise you kind of make a mess. But that was a great recipe for us that was quick, it was easy, and the kids and I both really liked it. I hope that helps you. If you have any recipes, please email them to me, sportingdogtv at gmail.com, and I will try to talk about your recipes on one of our upcoming shows. That's it for this week's cooking tip. Now, next, we're going to talk about a training tip. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. On this week's training tip, I want to talk about how to introduce your dog to gunfire. Gun-shy dogs are generally man-made. I would say 95% are because of how they're introduced to loud noises and, and gunfire. And it is created by the owner because they didn't take the proper steps, which maybe they didn't know or they didn't have time for. And they pulled the gun up and shot over the dog. The dog had a bad experience. Once you have a dog that does show that it's noise sensitive, you need to stop what you're doing and not shoot over them again and go to the point where you're introducing introducing them to the gunfire in steps at distance. You don't want to have a gun-shy dog. 75% in my estimation from my training are lost as far as hunting in the field because they are so noise sensitive that they just never overcome it. What I do is I use something called avoidance training. With avoidance training, I will take out all six of our dogs that we take in for training at a time. I'll throw bumpers for a couple of weeks in our uh, large run. The dogs are all very competitive. They all want the bumper. They're all running. They're grabbing it. They're having fun. They're competing with each other. And then after a week or two, I start shooting a 209 primer pistol just a couple of times while I'm throwing the bumpers and then get to the point where I'm shooting it every time. 
And then I will start where I have a 20 gauge shotgun and have someone 50 yards away from us shoot a few times while I'm throwing the bumpers and then move back in closer to us until it's me shooting the 20 gauge, uh, 20 gauge shotgun so that the dogs are basically looking at this noise as being part of fun. They're running, they're retrieving, they're competing with the other dogs, and they're hearing this noise, so they're always going to have a positive influence or image of this in their mind. When you take a dog out on its first hunt, do not have four or five guys that unload their guns with your brand new dog there. If you're going to go out and hunt, one, go out as a handler. Don't worry about shooting birds. Two, have just one or two guns with you <coughs> that will shoot so that it doesn't sound a whole lot different than when you're doing your training when you have them in the field. I had a dog that I was using as a guide at a pheasant club. She was completely uh, through all of her training. I had worked with her in the field. I had taken her on pheasant hunts with just myself. She did great. And I had four clients. The first bird went up. They all unloaded their gun. The bird kept going, of course. And the dog ran back and ran into the trailer. The door was open and was cowering in the trailer. At that point, I knew I had a problem. I stepped back. Now, I had her through gun training, so it was very, it was much easier to fix because of that. But I still went back and I reintroduced her like she was a new dog and made sure that I made things really fun. And then Ease turned to hunts with first me, then two people, then three people, but never put her in that position out of the gate where she had a lot of people firing over her, which was something I couldn't mimic when we were in training. So I hope that helps with your dog and helps you get your, your uh, team out in the field. That's it for this week's training tip, and that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need.